So um, let's, let's get straight away into the word today. So um, if you can stand, please join us. We are going to read from the book of James, chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. This is our last bit in the book of James, uh, 14 weeks already. So um, I'm both happy and sad because it's been such a great, great journey. All right, <clears throat> book of James, chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. This is what it says. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, If anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Lord, you are with us today. and You and your grace have chosen to be with us. By the power of your Spirit, in the preaching of your word, in the presence of our brothers and sisters, Holy Spirit, would you show us Jesus Christ, the Son, today? And Lord Jesus, would you show us the beauty, the love, and the goodness of our Heavenly Father? We ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, The other day, uh, my wife was driving around with our four-year-old, our youngest, and my wife, Marla, said, tell me something about God. And so Olivia, who is our spunky youngest, she said, God became a baby. And almost every time she says this, she goes, oh, how cute, because she thinks it's the most adorable thing, right? She loves babies, so anything that's baby-related gets the aw-how-cute tagline to it. So God became a baby. But then he grew up, she said, and then he died, and he died to help us. So this wasn't new. She said this kind of thing often, but then she went on. Then she said, Mommy, God is with us, and when he is with someone else, He's still with us. He doesn't leave us to be with someone else. He's bigger than the minivan. Bigger than everything so he can be with us. God is bigger than the minivan. And he is with us in the minivan even when he is with someone else in Mosul or Mozambique or Maui or Moscow. He's that big. He's that close. He's that present with us. 
Now, that's some pretty good toddler theology in my humble opinion. <clears throat> He's God with us. And this is a timely truth to ring in our ears given that next week is the start of Advent. Now, it's precisely because God is with us that prayer is what it is. What is prayer? Well, James ends his letter of wise love to the churches throughout the Mediterranean world by bringing his wisdom and love to bear on the topic of prayer. See, as apprentices of Jesus, we are to live in communion with the one that we are united to. We are uh, in union with God because of the work, because of the power, because of the presence of Christ's Spirit within us. We are drawn into that triune life. And one of the ways that His Spirit trains us to transform us into the likeness of Jesus is through the practice of unceasing prayer. And what exactly is that? Well, I believe that you could say prayer is the language of love and dependence. Prayer is the language of love and dependence. It is talking with God first and most about everything. It's talking with Him first and most about everything. And I believe this parallel definition of prayer is extremely helpful. It's, in other words, it's saying we treat God as though he's God, as though he's there, as though he wants to listen, as though he loves us. And honestly, it's with this kind of understanding of prayer that passages like 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18, actually begin to make sense. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 through 18 says, this is Paul talking, he says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Pray without ceasing. That is the kind of verse that makes a very religious person sweat, makes them nervous, right? Do you know how burdensome that is? Do you know how damning that verse is if we have a joyless lifeless, cold, perfunctory understanding of what prayer is. If we see God as an intimidating and demanding CEO, if we see him as a cold, lifeless cause and effect, cosmic force, kind of quid pro quo kind of God, or if we see him as a grumpy, unpredictable, hard-to-please sky parent, pray without ceasing is crushing. If prayer is reduced to being on your knees, folding your hands, offering formulaic, super religious-y sounding language in a certain way, well then how is one to go about living? How are you supposed to drive safely? How are you supposed to get your job done? How are you supposed to be present with the person that you are in front of? So surely Paul's exaggerating in this verse, right? I mean, he's just basically saying, make sure you pray a lot. I think he's actually meaning what he's saying. The key is to know that Paul knows that prayer is something that doesn't interrupt life. Prayer isn't an interruption. Prayer is actually how we engage reality. Right? Think of a bird. Prayer is like the wings of a bird. Not a burden, but the very way that that bird navigates the sky. The wings don't get in the way of flying. The wings are the way the bird flies. Prayer should not be getting in the way of life. Prayer is simply the way we navigate this world. It's a with God kind of life, talking with God first and most about everything. See, the highest good 
the highest good of the the human experience is communion, is intimacy, is fellowship with God. Knowing Him and being in union with Him, this is what the Bible calls eternal life. It's the good life. And so what this means is that the proper response to everything, the proper response to everything is prayer. This is a big thought that needs to get into our bones. It doesn't just need to be a thought. It needs to be in our habits. It needs to be our very way of life. The proper response to everything is prayer. And as it turns out, James, as he closes his book here, agrees with the Apostle Paul, and James wants the church to live as people of unceasing prayer. So let's look at how he goes about this. Verses 13 through 16. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call on the elders of the church and let them pray over him. See, James here gives three circumstances in which to pray. In trouble and suffering, uh, in cheer and gladness and strength and encouragement, and then in sickness. And he means both body and soul. Prayer is for those who are suffering. Now this one I think is easily understood by those who are, are used to coming to church, by those who are outside of the walls of the church. Honestly, it's the only time most people pray, right, is in a crisis, in a state of emergency. Prayer is like a divine 911 call. I mean, you only call 911 when there's an emergency or when there's a crisis, and that's kind of how many people think of prayer. So should we turn to God in a time of crisis when our world's caving in? Of course. Absolutely. We should trust him with our tears, with our sorrows, with our aches, with our cries, with, with our petitions. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I know many of you have been. I've been with you and prayed with you as you've uh, hit a crisis, to say the least. In the last months, I've prayed with those who were in their last hours in the hospital before they passed. I've been with some of you as you've been dealing with a major relational crisis family, friend, work, those of you who have been deeply depressed, have been praying through those crises. Uh, Just uh, two days ago, I sat with um, a brother I love over a long lunch saying our goodbyes as his family is moving. And so we prayed together in sadness over sushi, sad sushi, prayed, troubled by the change, but trusting the Lord with it. The other night, the elders at the elders meeting, we prayed, asking the Lord for wisdom to lead us through these complex scenarios that we're in, asking him to help us love well in these polarizing times. Yes, we go to him in crisis and times of trouble, absolutely. Prayer is for the troubled. Yet, prayer is much more than a crisis call line. Proper response to everything is prayer. So prayer is also for the cheerful, for the encouraged, for the strengthened. Prayer is talking to God about what excites you. Prayer is talking to God about those things that move you, those things that have amazed you. Prayer is processing wonderful news with the one who knows you better than you could ever 
fathom. It is sharing yourself, sharing your soul with your creator, sharing beautiful things, talking through beautiful things with him, expressing gratitude. Last week I got to do some traveling and I was at a conference retreat of sorts with some pastors from across the country and we got the opportunity to pray together just rejoicing in the fact that we could be together, that what brought us together, what bound us together was the spirit of Christ. And we were in a beautiful place, ate some good food, talked about our Lord, and we prayed together. Why? Because there was gladness. There was joy. There was great cheer. Joy praise. Prayer is for the cheerful. The proper response to everything is prayer. Then he says that prayer is for the sick. Those who are sick should call on the elders of the church to pray for them. Now, a couple things here. First, he presupposes that Christians are part of a local church body that has an eldership, right? That has leaders who are mature in the faith who are called to step up and get down on their knees and pray and care for the church family. And those who are sick, and the context of this um, makes it seem like he's talking about those who are seriously sick, but it's not just those who are seriously sick. We'll pray for anyone and everyone. But those, those who can't get up, those who are bedridden, those who have something severe going on, he says, call the elders, have them pray, let them enter into the suffering with you. Prayer happens in community with brothers and sisters. Now, does this verse promise that everyone will be healed of whatever it is that is ailing them when the elders pray? It actually doesn't. It commends such prayer. That's obvious. And it says the people will be healed by the prayer of faith, but this prayer of faith is not faith in healing itself. We don't put faith in healing itself. We put faith in the God who is capable and able and oh so willing to heal, right? He is the one that we put faith in. But we know he doesn't always heal. Take Paul, for example. Multiple times Paul prayed, take this thorn from my flesh, whatever that thing was. And God says, nope. My grace is sufficient for you in this matter. This is actually for your good and your sanctification. It's for the flourishing of your life, even though it's hard to see at this moment. There's another instance. This is so interesting. In Titus 3.20, he says that he left his friend um, Trophimus sick in Miletus. He left his friend sick. Paul, why don't you pray for him and heal him? Interesting. Another time, it's Epaphroditus in uh, Philippians uh, 2.27, uh, uh, who was ill near to death. Paul, you were with him. What's up? Did you not read James? Pray. Read your Bible, buddy. It wasn't up to Paul. I guarantee you he prayed fervently. It was up to God. Not everyone is healed. Even Lazarus, right, raised from the dead, was going to die again of something. You know, I remember years ago, um, a buddy of mine, many of you know him, um, David Monocle, he was an elder at the time, um, and some other elders, uh, we took a drive up to Brentwood where um, somebody we loved dearly was, was living at the time, uh, Lindy Baker. Some of you know Lindy. We went up to pray for her as elders. We took the anointing oil and we anointed her and had a beautiful time of prayer together. 
a month or so later, I did her funeral. She passed from a cancer that had ravaged her body. This doesn't mean that we don't pray for healing. On the contrary, we are to pray for and call others to pray for us as well, to put our faith in a God who does what is good and what is right. The early church, the fact of the matter is the early church believed in healing through prayer. It's hard to push against that when you read the scriptures. They experienced it. They were called to pray for the sick, yet not all were healed. Now, the anointing with oil is representative of the Spirit. So, uh, this is not a call to healing through essential oils, by the way. This is not a divine section of, of doTERRA, okay? Oil and its shining, golden, nourishing, bringing nature represented the Spirit of God. The life-bringing, light-bringing oil bring order out of chaos, nature of the Spirit is what is represented by oil that shines as light catches it and sparks it to life. It represents the Holy Spirit. It also represents consecration or dedication to God because of the Spirit's presence in somebody. And it is the Spirit that healing comes through. Right? It's, it's not through formulaic prayers with rightly chosen words as if we're trying to pull the right cosmic lever. It's through God's grace and his relationship with us and his people through his Holy Spirit. The power is in the Spirit. Prayers of faith met by the Spirit working the will of God do result in healing. And I wonder how often are we praying for healing, trusting that the Lord can actually do it? Or is that something of a bygone era where they were a little more supernatural back then, but now we really get how things work, so we kind of offer it as a comfort, but not really thinking he's going to do it. Something to think through. How often are we really praying for healing fervently, earnestly, knowing that the God who created our bodies and put our cells together and ordered them can actually bring order out of the chaos that sin and entropy has brought? Also, I think we should note here um, the, the elders the leadership of the church is to pastorally care for the congregation. They are to intercede on behalf of the people in prayer. And, and this should be a duh moment. It's like saying a parent should care for their child. Duh. But unfortunately, in a lot of churches, elders aren't seen as those who do pastoral care. There's a lot of broken leadership structures in the Western evangelical world. The elders of a church should be praying, should be pastorally caring for the flock, for the people. Now, I can tell you this, uh, and I tell you this just to, to let you know and to encourage you, um, that every time the elders of this church family get together, we are on our knees praying for you all. As, as prayer requests come in, we pray. In general, we pray over the congregation. I've seen elders over the last 10 years bring in knee pads to the meetings. Not everyone has the best knees, right? And sometimes it hurts, but still, I mean, I cannot tell you how powerful it is to watch some of these people step up and get down on their knees with knee pads on and pray out of love for the congregation. 
And I should also note this. Over the years, we have seen healing as we have prayed for people in this church family. We have seen healing of, of severe Crohn's disease um, symptoms just banish instantly, of depression leaving, of addictions taken away, of cancer, of tumors gone, leaving doctors amazed and sometimes a bit confused when they go in for the next checkup. I think of Pam. Hi, Pam. <laughs> I think of Pam Bennett, and uh, the elders have prayed over Pam as she went through just an awful time over the last couple years. Uh, elders prayed for Pam, prayed for a brother Dave, yet Pam got sicker and sicker each day for five months and was discouraged, thinking God wasn't going to heal her. Then healing came on rapidly. Um, this is from the text. Uh, her and I were talking this week, texting back and forth about this. This is what she said. She said, God had been working all along, but it just took time. And I did a word study on trust. I found another word that was alongside that word trust. Wait. The elders were trusting and waiting with me. They rejoiced with me when I was restored. So awesome. God is alive and moving and breathing in this world. And there are others we have prayed for, and we're still currently praying for. I think of Hannah Zerubin, who was fighting cancer with a good re recent report regarding her progress. And we're praying for others. Are we, as a church family, praying earnestly for the healing of our brothers and sisters, for the healing of this world? Well, next, James brings us to confession. He brings confession into it. Why is this? Why does he say confess to one another? He's talking about healing now. He's talking about confession. What's going on? Well, a couple things. First, because sometimes sickness and sin are correlated. Unconfessed sin causes all sorts of ruin in our souls and our bodies. It's, it's biblically sound. Caveat, this does not mean all sickness is caused by a person's sin. Sometimes, yes. Second, why does he bring confession into this? Because we're in this thing together. We experience the love and the grace and the forgiveness of God through each other. We physically represent these spiritual truths and present these spiritual truths and realities to each other. God has created the church in such a way that we are his body, right? And we taste of his goodness and grace through each other. Third, also, we don't just need healing for our physical bodies. We need healing for the inner person, for the heart, for the soul. And unconfessed sin festers and it eats us up like a cancer. And we need each other to process pain. We need each other to process the shame we feel. And grace is extended to us by the Father, through the Son, by the power of His Spirit, through His people. And that's how He set it up. So in trusting the Lord through exposing sin and asking for help, we are trusting in Him more than our reputation or our own abilities. We ask others to help. We confess. We say we need you. We need Him. And He heals us through all this. Now, if we keep going on, which we will, verses 16 through 18, it gets a bit weird, okay? It gets a bit weird, but helpful. The prayer of a righteous person, he says. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah, 
was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years, six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. What is that? Elijah. Some of you know Elijah from your Bible reading. He's that wild-eyed prophet, right? Something of an epic, heroic, you know, hero figure of the Old Testament. And his adventures are incredibly epic. He prayed for a dead child to come back to life. Came back to life. Prayed for God to show up in a blaze of, of glory and something like a supernatural equivalent to shoot out at the OK Corral, right, with the prophets of Baal. Fire comes down, big old deal, all right? Pyrotechnics. He prayed for the rain to stop, to bring judgment on Israel, three and a half years, dry, barren, and then he prays for the rain to come, and it starts again. He was fed by ravens while he was on the run. He experienced God's presence at Sinai like Moses did in miraculous ways. He was taken up to heaven in a fiery whirlwind. That's Elijah. And James knows there's this like big, epic picture of Elijah in the minds and the hearts of the people, and he says, take that dude. He had a nature just like you, just like me. He was just like us, a human being who needed God's help, yet God's spirit was with him, and he spoke with God. He spoke to God first and most about everything. Prayer was his language of love and dependence upon this God who could do these things. Right? Nature, just like ours, he put on his Jerusalem Birkenstocks one sandal at a time. Just like us. He had all that stuff, the fire from heaven, the dead coming to life, the miracle food, the pyrotechnic God interactions. Why? Because of prayer, because God's spirit was with him. He believed that God listened to him and lived in accordance. He believed that he walked and talked with God. He talked with God first and most about everything. And see, the prayer, notice that line, right? The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So here's the key. Righteousness, being righteous, doesn't mean being a goody-two-shoes or checking religious boxes. It means living rightly. It means someone who is walking rightly because they are walking with God, living as though God is God, and living in intimate union with him. And out of that intimate union of ordinary love comes this epic, epic adventures of Elijah. And so you and me, and here's the mind-blowing truth, we have the same spirit living within us that affected those incredible things that changed the course of history. We are not helpless victims in a world that is running roughshod over us and we have no help. He listens to us. He hears us. And when we get on our knees, or whether we're just taking a walk down the street, or we're driving and we're in union with him, communing with him, he does things we never could do on our own strength. So what if this were true, right? That the the same Lord of the heavens that worked all those things in Elijah's life was actually present and walking with us. I wonder what God would do through a church family that is humbly on its face, praying day in and day out for the salvation of its neighbors. For evil to be shut down, for darkness to be pushed back, 
for injustice to be overcome, for the healing of the sick, for the strengthening of our brothers and sisters, for a revival in a self-sick, fragmented, polarized, me-first kind of culture, for a revival of holiness in a Western church that primarily too often cares about their own personal happiness. Lord, teach us to pray. This is what, one of the things I've been praying this week is, Lord, teach this pastor how to pray. Looking at my kids, Lord, teach this dad how to pray. I can enact parenting principles all day long, but am I praying for them? I look at my wife and I say, Lord, teach this husband to pray. Am I praying for her, supporting her, caring for her? Am I speaking first and most to him about everything? Now, <clears throat> as James closes this letter, he moves from prayer to another topic. They are interrelated, though. He moves to talking about helping those who are wandering from the truth. Look at verses 19 and 20. He says, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Period. Done. Book over. <laughs> what an ending, right? Wandering from the truth is viral in our day. It is just the air we breathe. The flood of media that comes our ways is designed to distract and detour us, to wash us in false narratives, confuse our minds, so that we then end up following some other God who simply will crush us. We're to be vigilant to help each other. This is part of our practice of life together, living this life together. So when a brother or sister starts to get mesmerized, hypnotized, poisoned by some shiny falsehood, we are to hold up the goodness, the beauty, and the truth of Jesus Christ in front of them once again. So we not only talk to them about the goodness and beauty and truth of Jesus, we are to talk to God about them and pray for them and intercede on their behalf that the Spirit might move in them and move them away from the lie and into the truth. Are we praying for each other? Is that part of our regular rhythms? And this, by the way, is exactly what James has been doing in this whole letter, right? He has been working to turn his readers' eyes and minds from the lies of the world to the truth of who God is, right? That they would live in wisdom, that they would live in this world according to God's word, which is wisdom. And one of the greatest bits of wisdom is what James ends with, prayer. And so again, the proper response to everything is prayer, to live a with God life. So are you troubled? Are you suffering? Pray. Pray to the one who took on flesh and entered into the shame and entered into our hurt to save us. Are you cheerful? Are you encouraged in this season? Maybe you are still experiencing suffering, but somehow you're up. You're encouraged. Well, praise the Lord for that. Are you sick? Call others in to pray with you. Call the elders to pray for you. Are you concerned about someone who you love, who keeps swallowing in the garbage that the world keeps feeding, and you see them falling apart? You see a, a deconstruction of their faith and never a reconstruction to a real good, true understanding of who Jesus is. Pray for them. 
pray for them. Pray for your church leaders. Pray for your pastors. Pray for your elders. Pray for us. Pray for me as we continue to seek to do what is right and good in a complicated COVID world. It's crazy out there. Have you noticed that? It's just nuts. And let's be honest, sometimes the crazy gets in here sometimes. We need to pray for each other. Love each other. Be merciful and gracious to each other. And you know, if, if you are experiencing enmity with somebody, whether it's in your family or it's out, you know, some sphere in the world or it's here. Maybe they're here in this room. Something happens when you pray for that person. Your heart is softened. God moves. You're now seeing that person not as the other, but as someone seen through the lens of Christ as a brother or as a sister. Are you sick of the anger that you feel towards someone, the frustration that you feel towards someone? Pray for them. And God will do a work on your heart and how you see and engage that person. Talk to God first and most about everything in your life. And whatever comes your way today, tomorrow, or the next, the proper response to everything is prayer. Now, at this point, I, should, I feel like I should address this fact. Because um, it's easy to go, the problem with the world is the world doesn't pray. And I got to thinking about that. Um, and I think it, that's not the case. I, I think the case is that we are wired to pray. It is part of our divine architecture. We're relational beings made in the image of a triune God. We can't help but to pray. The problem is that we're not praying. The problem is how we pray and to whom we actually pray in this world. Do you know there are billions of people praying multiple times every day, all throughout the day, and they're seeking answers and those answers are in the forms of a like, a share, or a retweet. There are a total of 4.48 billion people on social media every day. TikTok, 1 billion. YouTube, 2.3 billion. Instagram, 1.3 billion. Facebook, 2.9 billion. Twitter, 206 million people. The average time spent by what was it, 4.48 billion people on social media is two and a half hours per day. Asking questions, wanting to be heard, wanting to be seen, looking for solutions. Talking first and most about everything with anyone out there in the crowd, crowdsourcing their life to hack their life, to get a better life, to get the good life, and they're sacrificing their time and relationships to do it. That's called prayer. We are wired for this. The problem is it's going in the wrong direction, and it's twisted, it's bent, and it's distorted, and it's not offered to the true God who can actually do something with it. So as I close, I want to call us to a practice, something that we can do this week, some simple steps that we can take to rehabituate ourselves, to go further into this life of prayer. So it's, it's four simple things that we can do each day. And here they are. Read and respond. Observe and share. Ask and ask. Thank and praise. 
And let me explain these, because this is, this is super simple. And, and if we were to just take these four things, maybe tomorrow, Monday, we just do one of each. Let's just, like, bar as low as possible. Let's just do one of each. And then Tuesday, maybe do it twice, two for each one of those. And then, and then three on, you know, Thursday, uh, Wednesday, and then on and on throughout the week. And what we will find is we will be rehabituated, and our minds will be attuned to things very differently. So let me explain these really really briefly here. Read and respond. Um, every relationship that we're in has call and response, right? Every relationship. I saw a lot of good friends walk in here, and I said, good morning, and they say, good morning. Call and response. And we are to listen. God has spoken. He is a God who speaks. He's there. He speaks. He's spoken, and he's spoken through his word. And we are to read his word. We are to listen and to respond. So if we just read a short passage each day, then we have now a prompt to pray. So Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Listen, now respond. You're my shepherd, Lord, you're my shepherd. Thank you. You provide the things I need, I shall not want. Listen in response. The best place to start with prayer is, is to start with his word and then bounce to prayer from that. Next, observe and share. By the way, these are all just kind of ways to have a conversation. Observe and share. You're taking a walk with someone. What do you do? You're like, man, the trees are beautiful today. Look at how gold that one is. Look how red that one is. Have you seen how crystalline and clear the moon is this morning? Did you guys see that? Observe and share. What happens when you do that? Conversation. Lord, the leaves this morning are awesome. The moon, I can, I can see the details of the moon. Man, that's so cool. What have I just done? I have just interacted with God like he's a personal being and I've shared something that I've observed. Observe something. You have eyes and ears and, and you can smell and taste and touch. Observe something and share it with the Lord. It's not because he doesn't know that that's the case. Yeah, I know I made the moon, duh. That's not the point. The point is like you are interacting as a personal agent with another personal being. Observe and share. That's prayer. You're talking to him. You're acknowledging his existence. And then ask, and then ask, and ask, and ask again. Lord, um, help me to love my family better. Help me to resist the next impulse to do that bad thing that you know I want to do. Why am I feeling this way this, Lord, this morning, Lord? Ask yourself those questions. Lord, I'm feeling something. There's observation. Why am I feeling this? Lord, I have a question. I was like on a super big high yesterday. Everything seemed fine. Nothing changed. I just woke up this morning, and I'm in one of my stinking micro depressions again. What's up? That is prayer. Ask him, Father, did I act so strongly when my, why did I act so strongly when my kids were disobedient today? What's going on inside of me? Those last two come right out of my, my own walk. Father, what, what should I think about this? What do you, what do you think about what's going on? What, I, just, I just opened up my news feed and I heard all this stuff. What do you, what do you think about this? Because I know what, this news channel thinks, and I know what my neighbor thinks, but what do you think? Simple, casual, profound prayer. 
And then thank and praise. Look out and find one thing to thank him for. Wake up. Here's a great practice. Wake up every morning, and when you notice you're awake, go, thank you for waking me up. Big step right there. Thanks for waking me up. Thank you that I have running water in my house to brush my teeth. Thank you that I can actually make pour-over coffee in my house. Thank you that I have a car that I can drive to work this morning. Thank you that I have a job. I thank you for letting me live in the beautiful Tri-Valley and giving me a job that I can, even though it is hard. You are good to me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the mind-blowing variety of the flavors of food, for carnitas, tikka masala, sashimi. Thank you. You're good. That's prayer. Lord, thank you for changing my heart. I was a self-righteous jerk who tried to do everything right so nobody can hold anything against me, including you, but you softened my heart and showed me I was a sinner in need of repentance. Thank you. Also, personal story. Practice these things this week. I realized this when I wrote, I didn't mean it, but um, don't pray by rote, you know, cold, mechanical, like disconnected thought. Pray by rote. Read, observe, ask, and think. It's a different kind of rote. But be intentional, and God will change our habituations and get this into our muscle memory and our body. I think back now to my little girl's theology. Mommy, God is with us. And when he is with someone else, he's still with us. He doesn't leave us to go with someone else. God is bigger than the minivan. God is way bigger than the minivan. And even though he is God of this colossal cosmos, he is with us. He sees you. Christy, he sees you. He knows you. Jan, he sees you. He knows you. Goodness, I could just go through each, each and every one of you. He sees you. He knows you. He hears you. He speaks to you through his word by the power of his spirit. His spirit is with us because of the work of Jesus. So, may we live in accordance with this truth. The proper response to everything is prayer, for prayer is the language of love and dependence. May we talk with God first and most about absolutely everything. And let me say it this one last way, and my one last effort this morning to get this just a little bit deeper into who we are. We should pray only, pray only as often as we breathe. Friends, pray only as often as you breathe, as oxygen is to the physical body, communion with God is to our very being. Live a with God life. Practice spiritual breathing. Practice prayer. Lord, teach us to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for time with my family this morning, with my brothers and sisters. Thank you for their prayers. Thank you for who they are. Thank you for your word. Lord, we pray for healing for this world, spiritual, physical healing for our brothers and sisters. Thank you that you are with us. Lord, we love you. We need you. Teach us 
to pray. It's in the name of Christ that we pray all these things. Amen.